0: I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on something that is just, it spreads all through the scriptures. It's called the way. The way. In the Greek, the word way is hodos, H-O-D-O-S. In the Hebrew, the word is direct. When they translate the Septuagint, LXX, every time they had direct in the Hebrew, they translated to hados. And the Septuagint is a translate of the Hebrew into the Greek since the most of the world was speaking some form of the Greek language. Alexander the Great had given us all of the dialectos, D-I-A-L-E-K-T-O-S. That's our word, dialect. And they had a different dialect in every city-state. A city-state was just like Tennessee. And what rules Tennessee, the law comes from Nashville. And uh, let me get off of this. I get over here to, to, a, to a good map, one of my favorite maps. I like this one right here. That's my favorite map on this whole thing because this is the Mediterranean Sea. This is the Strait of Gibraltar and the Rock of Gibraltar is right there. And this is where all the Bible lands of the Bible are located. That's everything in the Bible right here. That's why the beast comes up out of the sea. The beast was Babylon, and Babylon was ruling the world back when it was when Nebuchadnezzar and, and his descendants were ruling, and Babylon was the same thing as Iraq, right there. That that's Iraq and the Tigris and the Euphrates ran down through it. The Euphrates was the largest river in that part of the world and they shipped more goods to all over Asia and Asia Minor and into this area up here and when Babylon fell to Persia and Persia was Iran and Afghanistan and Afghanistan and I wish I had that map over here so I could show it to you but that's a world map over there and afghanistan pakistan Turkestan, all the stands was persia iran particularly and then uh, persia overthrows babylon and persia rules most of the world at that time and then persia is overthrown by alexander the great in greece that's greece right there and then this is the polypenesis down here it looks like a little hand here's a land bridge that connects southern uh, Greece. Northern Greece is called Macedon, M-A-C-E-D-O-N. Macedon was considered the country or redneck part of Greece. All the educational people were down here in Athens and Corinth and all this handout. That's called Apolitanesis. Corinth was right... Right, As you go down here to this hand uh, Corinth was right, or you go in to this little this little area here. it was right here, on the bottom of that, right there right before you get down to that hand and every every they had more travelers that come through there they say that around that polypenesis was so rocky that they couldn't bring any ships in through there at one time they tried to build a canal through that that little land bridge it was just like a land bridge that goes up to the northern part of goes up to macedon that was macedon here and alexander the great was from nacedon he was a soldier and he was a great soldier he was his techniques are even studied at west point and he was this he had one of the greatest fighting armies And the largest armies that ever existed was the Persian armies. They would take two and a half million men to attack Carthage over here. Two and a half million. How in the world do you feed that many people you got on the road every day? I don't know, but they did. And uh, so he overthrew. He fought with Persia and overthrew them. And then, then he had four men, four generals, Passenger Lassachemus L Y S A C H A I M U S Lysachemus. Then he had Ptolemy and he had Seleucus. Seleucus was the most powerful of his generals. He got the lion's share of the empire. And the solution kings were the kings of this, of what we would call Syria right here. That was the solution kings. But he was always trying to conquer Egypt and all these people over here. He was attacking everybody all the time. He was trying to build Syria the strength of Rome but there's no way he's going to do that Roman Empire is called the beast with iron teeth because it could destroy everything and everybody and they would the, the Romans would allow everyone to rule themselves in the world but if you got out of hand they would send the Roman legions in and crush you they were just, without a doubt, the greatest system. And it wasn't until all of these Ostrogoths and Visigoths and, and the Goths, and I don't know why they were Ostrogoths, Goths, and Visigoths, the, the Visigoths were considered the barbaric, most barbaric people of those people. And it was because of the Huns coming from the Far East. Huns come from, from Mongolia and they come from the far east and you had all of these the vandals they would come we get the word vandalize we call kids back in the 50s or 60s vandals when they would go out and destroy things that's where they got their name from the vandals well the vandals were coming over here and the ostrogoths were coming over and the visigoths came over here and encamped just up here in, in uh, they were driven across the Danube River, which empties into the Black Sea. It goes up here into Germany. And they came, they were driven across the Danube by the Huns. When they were driven across, that threw them into Roman territory. And Rome said, we will start taxing them. And you don't do that to the Visigoths. They ride horseback, bareback. They carry bows and arrows and big spears and they attack everybody in a moment just at a, at a stroke. They don't care. They said, you're not taxing us. And they just start attacking everything. And Constantine thought he's going to lose the empire to all of these pagans, Burgundians. The, you had the... The people from the north up here, the, the Norsemen, the, the people, the Vikings, they were coming down and attacking everybody. That's one thing that that the beast did not rule. The beast ruled over the Mediterranean. That's basically it. Of course, that was civilization to everybody. And if you look, if you watched the uh, gladiator, at the beginning of the gladiator it had Maximus on the northern border of of Rome up in here attacking the Germanic tribes from up in here. And they were you remember they were around this fires and they were had some leg of something iron growling like that and Looked like a bunch of heathens. Well, they were, but so were the Romans when it came down to it. So because he was afraid he was going to lose the empire, he said, and and one other thing, he said, I cannot uh, stop the Christians from multiplying. We, we're killing them as fast as we can. They keep multiplying. So he said, what I'll do, I'll kill two birds with one stone. I will tell all these Huns and Vandals and and all these Burgundians and Visigoths and Goss and all these they're just barbaric they had a series called The Barbarians back in the 90's you can get it at, at one of these uh, Best Buy you can go down there and order them it's called The Barbarians it's all about this story right here and and so he said I will bring their gods into the church they served sun and tree gods how do you know that because the Bible says Babylon mothered all idolatry in Revelation 17 and 5 and so if Babylon mothered it all everywhere you find idol worship whether it's Israel for 500 years going after Baal in the grove or whether it's these here coming down here and attacking all the world and so Constantine at Rome said, "We'll stop all this, this attacking one another. We'll bring their gods into the church, and the Christians can come into the church. And they compromised and brought all these, brought all these, uh, the 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 way they worship their gods, the sun and tree god, and they renamed the feast of Saturn here at Rome, Christ Mass, Christmas." That's where it came in. And it doesn't matter whether anybody liked it, that's the truth. That's a true story. Now, I don't know what got me on that. I just thought I'd tell you that. And Seleucius was, he was a character. He tried to attack everybody, and he wanted to build himself something like the Roman Empire. Now, we're talking about there's a way, it's called a narrow way. I've been using two i ought to go over that once in a while and let people know why god it's over this very reason that god scattered israel israel got involved in the worship of northern jordan which was the land of ammon southern jordan which was moab and the land of moab they got shemash over into israel shemash was a sun god from ammon they got they got they brought in a Molech, Moloch, Milcom, Malcolm—all the same God—and brought them over to Israel, and they worship Rimmon from Syria, and they worship Bel in the Grove from up here in Tyre in Sidon, which is we call Lebanon, and they worship the gods of Egypt. So God says, "I'll." I will take care of all of you and we went through that studying Jeremiah. That's why God brought Babylon over here and attacked all these people and destroyed all of them. And Babylon was kind of, they were a sword in God's hand. They were in a sense, they were the good guys and all that because Israel was rebelling against them and against God. Anyway, what I've been doing what god did with these people he said you've got a narrow way that you have to and that narrow way is a picture narrow way you'll see this along the way that is a picture of israel going through the do all of this this when they leave egypt cross the Dead Sea, they go down here to Mount Sinai and get the law of God and then they go up here to Kadesh Barnea God causes them wander through the wilderness for 40 years until he kills off all rebellion, until he brings them into Egypt, uh, Egypt into Israel and he calls that their rest this narrow way is a picture this Israel going through this desert for 40 years is a picture of the narrow way that's the narrow way that's hard life that they had there they didn't have any food when they left there were probably about two and a half million men and women that left Egypt I've got a paper that's really interesting. Maybe I could, if I brought it in here. Well, here it is over here, up here. i got a paper that's very interesting, and I hadn't read it to you in a long time. This tells you what they had to do in Israel to when they were leaving Egypt. What they had to do, if I can find it here. It's very, if I wish I had planned this ahead, I would have known what to do. I would have had it ready. But if you wait for me, don't leave me. I think it's one of the most interesting papers that I've read about Israel leaving Egypt. I mean, it is, I got this is a special packet that I put papers I want to be able to go to quickly um, I'll get here in just a second Lord help me find it <laughs> pray for everything huh? all right this is I'll even give you a copy of this we can make some copies but it's it's without a doubt will show you the miracle of God when they're out there in the wilderness here it is alright this is something that was figured out by some authority of some kind mathematics mathematical miracle Moses and the people of Israel were in the desert. But what was he going to do with them? What was Moses our God going to do? They had to be fed. And feeding two or three million people requires a lot of food every day. According to the quartermaster general in the army, it is reported that Moses would have... Would have to have 1,500 tons of food each day. 1,500 tons. A ton is 2,000 pounds. Do you know that would bring that much food each day? Two freight trains each, a mile long, would be required. Besides, you must remember they were in the desert and they would have to have firewood to use in cooking the food. This would take 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains each a mile long just for one day and just think they were 40 years in transit and yes they would have to have water. And when Moses struck the rock and water came out, it didn't come out a little stream. You've got three million people waiting to drink have you ever seen a line of up to a water fountain in this long ways these were they had to come out in a form of a river if they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes it would take 11 million gallons each day and a freight train with tank cars 1800 miles long just to bring water and then another thing, they had to get across the Red Sea in one night. If they went on a narrow path, double file, the line would be 800 miles long. I keep saying, when God opened up the Red Sea with the east wind, he had to blow it back so far they couldn't see it. It wasn't like those two walls of water that you see in these movies. And you think Pharaoh was going to be stupid enough to take his chairs down between a wall of water on this side that's high as a skyscraper and one on this side, and it's only about 50 feet in between. He ain't going there. When he saw the waves coming, they were coming from a distance, and he was down there, and he was so far away. Look, a tidal wave. It may have been fifty miles to the between those between those big walls of water. It would require thirty five days and nights nice to get through for all those people to walk through, so there had to be a space in the Red Sea, three miles wide, so they could walk five thousand abreast to get over in one night. But then another problem, each time they camped at the end of the day, a campground two-thirds the size of the state of Rhode Island was required. Or a total of seven, 750 square miles. They had to have that to camp. Think of it, this much space just for nightly camping. Do you think Moses figured all this out before he left Egypt? I think not. You see, Moses believed in God, and God took care of those things for him. Now, do you think God has any pro- problem taking care of all of our needs? Huh? I don't think so. All right, let me get back to the way. The way is a, the way is a picture of what's going on in the wilderness. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm using two verses, two as a springboard verses to go through this. First of all, I want us to go over to Matthew, Matthew, the seventh chapter, and we're going to read this. And I'm going to read you some things about the way. Matthew, the seventh chapter. Matthew seven. Verse thirteen. Now this word straight is only mentioned just a few times. Straight He says Matthew seven thirteen. Well, if I'm in Mark, that won't work. Oh, just stick with me. 7.13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Enter is the word. I circle my. E-I-S. E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. You can pronounce this ice or ease, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care. I circle my ice means that's the same word when Jesus commanded them in the 28th chapter of Matthew in the Great Commission to go in all the world and teach all nations, baptizing them in. That means to sink into, to sink into but not come out of. Enter ye in. Enter, and it comes from ice and ergon. Ergon means to labor or to work. That's a common word for labor. So it comes from ice, ergon. And it means to labor entering in. And then he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Straight is the word Stenos. It means there is an opening and it's, and it's narrow and narrow and straight go together. It's a narrow way, a narrow hodos, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care. Hadas, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, the way. Now, I'm going to read some other places the word narrow is, but it's not the word narrow. This is why you need a strong Concordance. It'll be some other word. Stenos, enter is here, enter, at the straight gate. Straight is that word, stenos. When you get into, through the rest of the Bible, and you see, I keep saying, you have a noun form of a word, then you have a verb form. The verb form of stenos, stenos is the noun, a noun is a person, place, or thing, this is a thing. The verb form of stenos is stenazo S-T-E-N-A-Z-O. It doesn't sound anything like stenos when you translate it to our language. The word is groan. Stenazo being the verb form, that's what you feel like when you're going through the straight gate and you go into the narrow way. Narrow is the word thilibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. Thilibo is a, Form. It's a, This is a verb form of the noun. Philipsis. T h l i p s i s. Every time you find the word tribulation, every time you find it, it is this word philipsis. When Paul said, "We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God," Acts fourteen twenty two. Fourteen twenty two. This is what you're going to have to put up with in the narrow way. You hear about the straight and the narrow way all your life? This is what we're required to be in. There's a straight and a narrow way and it's full of tribulation and trial. That's where they stoned Paul and left him for dead outside the city of Lystra. Now Paul... Paul looked like he'd been on a camel that had been running 50 miles an hour running into a brick wall. That's what he looked like, because when they stoned men, they would take them up on a high place and throw them down maybe 20, 30 feet high, hoping to break their neck or make them cripple by breaking their back. And if they didn't kill them by that, they would throw these big 20, 25, 30-pound stones up on them. They didn't just throw rocks at them. That wouldn't be so bad they really put a man through uh, unbelievable uh, problem whenever they stoned him and uh, he looked like he was he probably had bones broke all to pieces and had to be wired up and, and they put bandage on him but the thing is he got up on his feet and went Right on down to Derby and then decided I'm going to come back to Lister and go back to Iconium and go back to Antioch and see how everybody's doing and he's broken all to pieces. That's what we have to go through mentally or spiritually when we're in the way. There, You cannot go to heaven without being in the way. And then he says and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there be that go in there at many many going into destruction that's because they're vessels of wrath fitted to destruction catartizo k-a-t-e-r-t-i-z-o fully accomplished for destruction these are natural root beasts made to be taken to destroy and the only, and many will go into that way and only a few will find the narrow way of go on and read and it says so there's only a few of us in the world that really wants these truths not many people want the truth so he says because straight is the gate straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life it doesn't say eternal but that's what he's talking about And few there be that find it. Few. Oligos. O-L-I-G-O-S. Oligos means a puny number are going to believe predestination. God does not love everybody. God loved Jacob and hated Esau before either one were born, before either one had done any good or evil. Predestination's true. Only a few of us in the world are going to believe that. There's not many. We have, we're on TV in about 275 towns and cities. We don't have that many calls come in from the world. Not compared to as many places we're on TV. And we're on the internet all over the world. And people write us from Africa, not many. People write to us from Holland one person we got one lady that writes us from france Severine, and but there's not a lot it's and every time one of them writes they say i never heard this before and i'm so glad to know that somebody's preaching it that's just it's just like chris and he had a family that didn't want it he said i just can't believe i kept trying to tell them they wouldn't listen and he came down here and found a lady that wants it, right? <laughs> it's it's just not many that want it. And I have people calling me and say, but you don't understand. None of my family wants tears. I say, hey, I do understand too. None of my family wants it. That's the way it works. Now, I'm going to give you some of these other places that this word stenos is used. Let's go over here to Mark 3, Mark 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem and from Idumea Idumea is south of Israel that's the land of Esau and from beyond Jordan that would be on the other side of Jordan in the land of Ammon or the land of Moab and they about Tyre and Sidon that's above Israel That's, that's the same place we call Lebanon and a great multitude when they had heard what great things he did and came unto him And he spake to his disciples that a small ship, it doesn't mean the Queen Mary, ship is just a word that means a boat, should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. Should throng is one word in the Greek, stenos. It's the same word as straight. It means to be crowded on every side and people pressing you. When you start telling people about these truths about predestination, God does not love everybody, do you get pressured? Does anybody get pressured? We all do, don't we? When people call me and say, you don't understand, I said, I do understand. And they should throng him, for he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him, for to touch him as many as had a plague. Now, I can't imagine what that was all like. Now, let's go over here. Let's go over here to Mark. The 7th chapter in verse 13. Well, Let's start in verse 31. Again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came to the Sea of Galilee. It's not so far from Tyre and Sidon. Came here. See if I got another map that will show you. I think if preachers would use maps, people would better understand. Let me see here. Well, maybe that one would do it this would be Tyre and Sidon up here They came to the Sea of Galilee that's not so far it's about 120 miles the length of Israel so that's probably 20, 15 or 20 miles something like that you've got a. here's a kilometers uh, I don't really know like how much kilometers there's 20 kilometers there. 20, you can measure it like this. Probably about 40 kilometers, 45, something like that. Now, where was I? Okay. Mark 7 and verse... Thirty-two, And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears and spit and touched his tongue. And he looked up to heaven. He sighed. It's really funny, but that word sighed is the word stenazo. He groaned. He groaned over these people because they were all pressing. He wanted to reach all of them and he just couldn't. Now, go over here too. I'm just wanting to show you these places. This is another place. I love this right here. This is a verse I quote all the time. Luke 13 and 24. Let's read 23 and 24. Then said one of him, One him Lord are there few that be saved and he said unto them strive to enter in at the straight gate when you're going into the straight gate you have to be striving this is a hard word agonizomai A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I agonizomai is our word agonize And it comes from the Greek word agon. The agon was the arena where they would run the races and sweat. And they would, sometimes they would put them in this arena to be attacked by gladiators and by lions. He said agonize. And by the way, that's not an invitation to him. That is an imperative mood. What he's doing, he's saying, everybody who has an ear to hear, I've given you an ear. And I'm commanding you, agonize. And that's not an invitation. that You're going to agonize within your own self about how you're living and what you're doing. You've got to say, I've got to change. And that's you're going to enter in the narrow way. The straight gate goes with the narrow way. You cannot. And he said, For many I send you will seek to enter in and shall not be able, because they're not willing to enter into the narrow way. They don't even want to go into the straight gate and be pressured from all sides by people, much less when they get into this narrow, this T H L I B O. And that produces the same word, basic word, is tribulation. Which is, Paul said, we have to go into this way, through great tribulation. There's no way to get to heaven without it. You cannot say, I go to grace and truth and listen to Jim talk about predestination, but I don't want to do anything about it when I get out here in the world. If it's in your heart, it will come out your mouth. Of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You say, I don't know that much Greek. Well, learn two words and use them. And then learn two more and use them. And then two more and use them. Before you know it, you're going to learn. We had one young man that come here when he was about seven or eight. His mother would give him, she would give him rewards for every word he mentioned. He, he memorized at eight years old up to about 65 Greek words. Now, if he can do it, he did it to be taken to Chuck E. Cheese. Now, I won't take you to Chuck E. Cheese, but I'll tell you what, you'll have as much reward as if you're going to Chuck E. Cheese, because when you get out here and you use these Greek words on people, they don't have any idea what you're talking about. Then you can explain it to them. And now. And so many are going to seek to turn in but not be able that's that's the word stenos strive. The word stenos is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's Matthew 7 thirteen14 and Luke 13 24. that's the only times it's used but You've got Stenazzo, grown, mentioned many times. Now, let's go over here to, I'm just going to give you some of these things. Let's go over here to Acts, the 7th chapter. Now, in this chapter, this is a chapter, this gives you the history of Israel. This is when Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is brought before the high priest and before the Sanhedrin. And he starts off telling you all about Abraham and being in Mesopotamia and the Chaldeans. And, and he goes into the story of going into Egypt and being sold into Egypt and by Joseph and all of these things. And, and he goes into this whole chapter. You want to read a summary of the Old Testament On Israel read this chapter this is a summary of everything that Israel went through and then it gets to Moses here let me read a little bit about Moses Moses uh, comes upon this Egyptian striving with one of his people and he kills the Egyptian when he kills him, Moses is 40 years old. Now, I made a mistake here a while back. I thought about it when I was going home. I thought, what did I say that for? I told you that Moses was 40 years old when he left Egypt. He wasn't 40 years old when he left Egypt. He was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian. Killed the Egyptian. And then he left for 40 years. 40 years. And where he went... Let me show you where he went. He left, ran for his life. He thought, the Pharaoh will kill me for having killed one of his subjects. And most of the people knew that Moses was uh, an adopted Jew into the house of Pharaoh. Let me see here. I was going to give you something. Oh, okay. I'm going to show you where he fled to. I need a way to talk to this so it'll give me a place. I know where it is. Okay. Moses fled. He was in Egypt. He fled to a place called Midian, it was just over. He left Egypt after he killed this Egyptian, came over to Midian, stayed there for 40 years, found his wife Zipporah, and then he comes back. He's 80 years old when he comes back, and when he sees the, when he hears the voice coming out of the bush that is not consumed, it's a fiery bush in the fourth chapter of Exodus, he comes back, he's... He's 80. Then he sees this burning bush and he goes up on the mountain, sees the burning bush, and God tells him to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let people go. And then then he's with Pharaoh from Exodus, the fourth chapter, God starts sending 10 plagues And then the last plague is the is the death of the firstborn. Of firstborn. And that's in the 12th chapter of Exodus. And through there, God kept saying after every one of these diseases that he brings, flies and darkness and moraine, which was disease of the cattle and killing all of them, and after each one, God would harden Pharaoh's heart. God said, I will harden his heart. That's what the ninth chapter of Romans tells us. Whom he will, he hardeneth. He hardened his heart and he wouldn't let the people go. Finally, on the twelfth plague in the twelfth chapter of Exodus, that's the Passover. And they had to put the blood on the doorpost of their houses. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the death angel won't come in and kill the firstborn. So. So they leave Egypt. Then that next chapter, 13th chapter, the 14th chapter, that's when Pharaoh comes up against the children of Israel. They're crossing the Red Sea. And we've already talked about that, but. When they get down into the Red Sea, the Bible says in the fourteenth chapter, God pulled the chariot wheels off of pharaoh's armies, He said, "Now you drive against my people. you think that's not the sovereign will of God. There was no way Pharaoh and his army going to get out of that. no way Pharaoh's armies got drowned, and oh Mary, don't you weep and Moses is leaving, he's 80 years old. So they're 40 years in the wilderness. So he's 120. When God takes him up on Mount Nebo, we don't know if God killed him, but we know that when he was 120, he was as healthy as he was when he was 40. His strength was not abated when he got there at 120 years old. Of course, God wouldn't let him cross the river because in Numbers, the Numbers, the 20th chapter, Moses had struck a rock twice when God told him to speak to the rock. And he got mad at the people Moses did. Now, let's get back to the subject. Look over here in, and let's finish reading here. It's about Moses in the wilderness. And when 40 years were expired, verse 30. They appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, the angel of the Lord, in the flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord unto him, Put off the shoes from off thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And I have seen and have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, their stenogmos. This is a form of the word stenos. S-T-E-N. It's a form of stenos. It means the same thing, groaning. It means all of them were groaning together. When you see a movie about them, they groaned for 400 years and, and come to deliver them and now come I, come I will Send thee unto Egypt, and then he goes into the story of Moses. Now, let me give you another place for this. Let's go over here. I'm just giving you a lot of these places. Here's Nagmas again. In Romans, in Romans, the eighth chapter. Let me get into my other Bible because I've got it marked up better. Romans the 8th chapter, he's got several times, this is really, if you can understand this, you can get a better hold on predestination, what I'm going to say to you. I preached on it, it takes me a while to get through Romans 8, because when he says down here, let me kind of paint a big picture for you. When he says down here in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. For, for is a, it's subordinate. It's a sub, O R D I N A T E Subordinate conjunction. Don't start a sentence with for. Walk up to somebody and say, For I have to go to the store. You just say I have to go to the store. For being a subordinate conjunction means subordinate means it has to obey what has been said. So when you look at Romans eight twenty nine, for has to be obedient to the previous verses. For whom he did foreknow. He says in the verse before, and, now that is a coordinating conjunction, and coordinates what has been said to what's being said. For has a stronger belief to it. Everything that's been said has to, in order for the things to be said, it has to be obedient to what has been said. You understand what I'm saying? For. I'm going to the store for, my wife told me to. You would say something before you say for. And so what he said previously, and we know that all things work together for good, we know. All things, what are the all things? It's things he just talked about. What he just talked about is groaning. So groaning has to do with Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together. For good to them that love God, them who are the called. Well, the called has to be the church. Because called is kaleo. And there's only one called and that's the ek-kaleo or ekklesia the way they when they translate kaleo over to and couple it with ek they make it ekklesia e-k-k-l-e-s-i-a and that is the word church. We are called out of this world just like they were called out of Egypt to go through the wilderness and go through all kinds of narrow ways, tribulation. Boy, that was a tough time. If you want to know what they went through, start in the 10th chapter of Numbers. Numbers 10 is when they leave Mount Sinai. They go up to Kadesh Barnea and they refused to go in and fight the most of the military men will not go in and fight those Anakims and the men of Anak were in the place that we call the Gaza Strip it was the land of the Philistines later and that was where the Anakims were and they were giants Anak or the Anakims so they had a narrow way to go through, through that entire thing that's the same thing it's talking about here, about us. Look here in Romans 8. You cannot have, and we know that all things work together for good, for whom he did, for no, he also did predestinate, without the previous verses about groaning. In fact, you can't have it without going up here to verse 20. For the creature, the katesis, K-T-S-I-S, that's you and I, KT. Men who are vessels of wrath—they're living in chaos. We are Katesis. A creature is one with organization to it; it has, it has programming to it. For the creature was made subject to vanity. And vanity is the word metaiotes, M-A-T-A-I-O-T-E-S. Let me erase some of this. I need the board. M a t a i o m a t a i o t e s. That's the word vanity. It means in utility. There's no, has no use. Inutility. Or transientness one who moves around doesn't have a place to sit down very unstable the creature Adam It's talking about Adam was made subject to vanity but not willingly he wasn't his will it was God's will that he was made subject to this sinful nature that's because God picked up this corrupt dust and made him out of corruption and then he said, thou shalt not, and you can't keep from eating of that tree because you're made of corruption. Not willingly by reason of him, just put God there for him. But By reason of God who hath subjected the same in hope, he made Adam subject to sin. And he couldn't keep from sinning, but he also has El Pinzo. E-L-P-I-Z-O. That is the word hope. It means to depend on promises. Promise. That's made by God. It's not, I hope I get a new car. The promises have already been made. Even eternal life. Even the narrow way. Even the straight gate. Those are God's promises because He commands us to go through it. And we will. And then He says, but you can't have the groaning without a reason. (laughs) See, everything backs up to everything else. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from bondage of corruption that shows you that the creature has to be the believer into the glorious liberty of the children of God for we know that the whole creation, that's us believers, groaneth and that word groaneth is you s-u s-t-e-n-a-z-o Stenazo is the same word. The word su on the front of it is the same thing as su, sum, sug. All those are forms of the same word. It means in fellowship. we grown together, don't we? We call each other, we meet here and say, man, I talked to my mother and my father, and boy, they don't want to hear this. How many of y'all said that to me besides everybody? Everybody here has said that, haven't you? People don't want Christmas is pagan and God doesn't love everybody. Why? They've been brainwashed with their heathen mind that God loves everybody and and they think in Hollywood that everybody's going to heaven when they die they think yeah, Michael Landon died and he said he's going to be he's going to be an angel watching over, he's going to be a guardian angel watching over his wife and family, a guardian angel was a demon you lame brain it was the same thing as a genie, so Michael Landon's going to be a genie I, I can't watch that little house on the prairie. He's got so many people, and he his wife on there. That played his wife. She said he goes around using crude speech and language all the time. Do insane things to women that he shouldn't say. He was a, kind of a thug. That's why he was raised, you know that. And he never didn't get out of it. He and he didn't pay people that he was supposed to pay. You can check that out on the Internet. Some of them filed lawsuits against him because he never paid them right, so I don't like to watch him. Michael Landon? Yeah. Yeah, he was uh, kind of just a punk. But we know that the whole creation grown of so we're growing together. The whole creation groans together and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. Stenazzo. Same word as straight is the gate. Straight. Straight is the noun. Stenazzo is the verb. Groan. Within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, or that is to say, the redemption of our physical bodies where he'll change us in a moment in the wink of an eye at the last trump. What is all this groaning about? Uh, let me tell you what it's about. You cannot teach Romans eight twenty nine without teaching the groaning. The groaning is about the outer man. That's what it's about. It's all about the previous chapter chapter 7 when he says verse 15 he says verse 14 the law is spiritual but I, me I am carnal, sarkikos fleshly and then he says for that which I do (sighs) present tense what I'm doing right now I allow not I Genosco not, I don't know it. For what I would that I do not, but what I hate that's what I do. He's talking about two men in him. He says that down in verse twenty five. He says in verse twenty four, Wretched man that I am. I am as a present tense being verb. I am that right now. This is he didn't say what I used to be, it's what I am. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this physical body, which is a death? This physical man can't quit sinning. That's what First John 1 and 8 says. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And then he says in First John 3 and 9, whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. That's the inner man. There's an inner man and an outer man here. You have to fight self. That's, the, that's what the narrow way takes us through. It's me. My problem has been Jim Brown all my life. It hasn't been. I blamed everybody but me. I woke up in the hospital one time. I said, Lord, the fault is mine. But I could name all the people in my life, and I could put the blame on them. And some of them legitimately did me wrong, but they were supposed to by the will of God. And what he's talking about is that inner and outer man in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. That leads you into the next chapter. Therefore, since I serve the law of God with the inner man, the law of sin, therefore there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus the inner man. Who There are no chapter headings in those scrolls. They were just scrolls that rolled them out. They had a little tag on them to tell you if it was Romans. And they just rolled it out to the verse they wanted. There was no chapter 8, verse 1. Not in those scrolls. They rolled it out where they wanted to read it and they read it. Therefore, There is therefore now no condemnation to them, the inner man, which is in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of the life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin. That's the outer man. But he's not going to leave you alone. He's going to put you through trial and persecution and tribulation, the narrow way to get rid of self. That's what the narrow way is for, to get rid of you. Get rid of me and my life. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, condemn the outer man. He's talking about the outer man when he goes all the way through chapter eight. And then he says that the righteous, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, that's the inner man. And walk not after the flesh, the outer man, but after the spirit, the inner man. That's what he, he's going right straight out of chapter seven, talking about the outer man through the inner man. And that's what Romans 8 and 28 and 29 are about, is all that groaning and he's getting rid of that outer man. You've got that all your life. You cannot teach predestination without teaching the outer man and the inner man, which is Christ in you. That's the new birth. A man that doesn't have the new birth by the will of God in him, there's no getting rid of the of the outer man because he has no inner man to work on the outer man. And the inner man has to be Christ in you, the hope of glory which were born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor the will of flesh, but of God. That's what predestination's about. God getting rid of, birthing himself in us to get rid of us. And then he says, look at verse 6. Well, let's read 5 again. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit is the inner man. Can you see that? This is not even hard. And then he says, To be carnally minded is death. To be minded after the outer man will bring you to death. You got it. There's no sweetness of life like getting rid of the outer man. I used to live wrong. Has anybody else lived wrong beside me? I've lived wrong. I would not want you to know my life story. Don't tell nobody about it. Those are things in the fifth chapter of that are not even be discussed among the believer. He's made us new. And then he says, to be carnally minded like the outer man, is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Then he says, because the carnal mind, the outer man, he doesn't even change the subject from the previous chapter. The carnal mind is enmity, ecthra. The outer man is hostile to God. Ecthra means hostile, E-C-H-T-H-R-A. E-C-H-T-H-R-A. To be friends with the world is the enemy of God. And friendship with the world is enmity. Same word in James 4, starting in verse 4. It's hostile to God. That outer man is hostile to God. It's real easy to condemn somebody else. But did you know that every one of us have enough evil in our flesh? Do the things that Adolf Hitler did if God will, if He'll pull His restraining hand off of us, we'll go to the most dirty deeds. All of us. Nobody is worse than anybody else. Look at the things you did when you were living in the outer man and you're ashamed of. I'm ashamed of. Sometimes I think of myself and. I go, God, why did I do that? God, forgive me. He forgives me, and he can't remember it, but I can't forget it. And that's what keeps me on the straight and narrow way. So then, they that are in the flesh, the outer man cannot please God. If you live for that outer man, you'll not please God, and he'll just put you through more stenos straight, narrow, limbo way. And it is not fun to go through it. But you're not in the outer man, but in the inner man. It says you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, you're still talking about the previous chapter. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in us, that's the inner man. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. The Spirit is the truth. John 14, 15, 16, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. John seventeen, seventeen. thy word is truth. If a man doesn't have the Spirit, these Pentecostals say, the Holy Spirit is the second work of God. No, it is not. It's the constant work of God in his people. Any that has not the Spirit of Christ is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the inner man, the body is dead because of sin. That's the outer man. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus, that's the inner man. From the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Notice he didn't say, He's going to quicken you into a new body at the end of time. He says he's going to quicken your mortal bodies. He's going to quicken the outer man to die and let the inner man take over the outer man. And you'll be quick and you'll start living righteously somewhere in your life. You have to. You go into heaven, that's the only way you go by the spirit which is the inner man he's going to put you through so much hell on earth You're gonna, he, that inner man is going to just put you through all kinds of narrow ways and all kinds of philebo, tribulation, and that he'll burn out most of that inner man uh, the outer man, he'll burn most of that out and when you're old you'll just have a little thin veneer of the outer man but not much it's easier to live from God when you get old. You can't. Sin is hard work. Do you not know that? It's hard work. And it puts stress on your body and it wants to kill you. And it will eventually. You'll die young if you keep living in sin. You won't live long. And while you're dying, you'll say, why did I do these things? And he says, verse 13, if we live after the outer man, it says place, But that's, you got the definition in the 25th verse of the previous chapter, don't you? But there's no chapters in these scrolls. You shall die, but if you through the Spirit do mortify, kill off the deeds of the outer man, you shall live and have eternal life. That's the truth. And then he says, well, I love verse 14. For as many as are led by the outer, by the inner man, by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. People want to fight over the fallen angels being sons of God. How can they be sons of God when they're fallen and they're not being led by the Spirit? They're not sons of God. Jesus told them in John 8, Your Father's the devil told the Pharisees that. So if you're having a hard time, good. God's working on that outer man to get rid of him. And every one of us, there's no temptation in taking you, but such as is common to all men. I know what all men wrestle with. Their number one problem is women. Anybody want to deny that? No. Huh? That's man's problem, is women. That's it. He doesn't have a problem wrestling whether he needs a new car or not. We should buy this house or not, buy that diamond ring or not. That's not the wrestling match when he has every day. How do you know that, Jim? I am a man. I will own up to what my sin has been in the past. And that I wrestle with today, but not on the scale that I did when I was 35 or 30. I was crazy then. I didn't think I was. I thought I'm a good Christian boy. And then he goes all the way through here and says, let's get to this groaning. The groaning has to do with getting rid of the outer man. Do we not get it? You can't teach Romans 8.29 without teaching this. Let's get back to the other word, groan. We didn't finish it yet. We got to the word groan in verse 23. got to groaneth in 22. And then you got groaning down here in verse 26. Likewise, the spirit or the inner man. All of chapter 8 is about the inner man versus the outer man. All of it. The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought to. We don't know what to pray for because prayer means to bow to the will of God. Hardest thing in the world to do is say, God, I've I got these temptations. Lord, help me get rid of them. Stop me from being involved in that. Do you ever pray that way? But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings, that which cannot be uttered. We don't even, we just groan. The word groan there is stenagmos, S-T-E-N-A-G-M-O-S. It is a form of stenazo. It's because it's us all groaning together, stenagmos. That's just the form of straight. Straight is the gate. We're entering at the straight gate. It's And he's, but the spirit itself make of intercession. What he's saying, the inner man makes intercession. Intercession is the word intunkano. E-N-T-U-G-C-H-A-N-O-N-T-U-G-A-N-O. It's, uh, in the Old Testament, it, intercession is the word pagal. They have the same meaning. Intercession means to impinge. Progress. That means to, basically to somehow to slowly stop it doesn't happen all at once. progress that's the inner man saying, You got to force yourself what to do if you're if you're coming up on a street and you're driving down the street in your car here, and you see a little kid coming along and he's about to cross this Street here and there's a car barreling down on him real fast you take your car and hit that car and knock it off the track and keep from hitting that kid. That's called intumcano or pagal. means stop the progress of something. The only person that can actually do that and cause our inner man to do that is God. He has to make us strong enough to make ourselves do what's Right? You, you don't just wake up one day. Oh, I'm a Christian now, and I believe believed God, and I believe in predestination, so I'm afraid. free. No, it ain't that way. you got to fight yourself the longest day you live. Will you men agree with me on that? you got to fight every day those desires. I'll tell you what will help you. It really help a lot if you can get to be 82 tomorrow. If, if you can get old real quick, that'll help you. I'm 82, I'll be 83 in about three weeks, two weeks, something like that. So mm-hmm. that'll help me a lot, me 83. The older you get, the less you can mess around. I couldn't imagine going to some bar down here and wanting to flirt with some girl that's hard work isn't it it is for an old man when you're young you don't know how hard it is and how how much trouble it's going to get you into but it will especially if you belong to God and then you get on down here he that searches verse 27 he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit that's the inner man because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. (laughs) According to the will of God. And we know. We, ito. He didn't say we're absolutely positively sure. He said we, ito. Remember I've told you there's two common Greek words for the word know in the Greek. One is the word ito. E-I-D-O and the word gnosco. Paul did not use the word gnosco here. Gnosco comes from gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. That's our word, know. Oops, start with a G. That's our word, know. It means to know. Know by learning. That's something you learn. Paul didn't use that word here any more than he used the same word in Second in Timothy, the first chapter, when he said, I'm an apostle, a preacher, and a teacher, and I'm suffering for this, and people are trying to kill me, and they were trying to kill me for being the same person that I used to want to kill. He said, when I was a Pharisee, I was out to get all the Christians. I was slaughtering the church. That's what he said in the ninth chapter of Romans, in the ninth chapter of Acts. He said, I made havoc of the church. I was killing them. That's what I wanted to do. And he said, because I was doing that, now I'm on the other side, and they're trying to kill me. The people that want to get rid of the Christians he said now I see you I believe in that's your best knowing you're an eyewitness to people trying to do to you what you used to try to do to other Christians he said now I see you I believe in that's the same word he said here now I've seen all my groaning I've seen all my groaning I know whom I have believed I know We all know that all things work together for good. Everything that I've been talking about here that's caused my groaning, everything in the narrow way, just like everything when they were over there in the wilderness was working for their good to get him across. And God had to kill off a bunch of them that were unbelievers. That's when he says, for whom he... Did foreknow, the whom's that he did foreknow is all those inner mans on the on this previous part of this chapter. It's the inner man from chapter seven. Those are the whom's he foreknew. It's not talking about what's he foreknew. It's talking about the people he foreknew. Whom is the word who's, O U S. It's got the diacritical mark, which is a breathing sound. It's whose It's masculine gender plural it's all the people that he foreknew is his family he's going to make them groan go through the straight and the narrow way how much time do I have Mike 18, 13, 13. 13 all right let me go back to some of the other things so now you understand groaning in this chapter is the same thing as the straight gate You're going through the straight and the narrow way. And God's commanding every believer, go through it. So when you're upset at the world, don't get upset at the world. Get upset at yourself. (laughs) Because that's what we're supposed to do. Go look in the mirror and say, hey, do this right and stop doing what you're doing. Do you think I haven't had to do that? I have been... I've been as big a sinner as anybody here. I have sung in about 250 military base NCO and officers club. You know what's in those clubs? Same thing as out here in these public clubs, sin, that's all. I've seen generals and colonels and, and top sergeants just involved in all kinds of sexual misconduct running around somebody else's wife. Just insanity. And I'll tell you what, you can't be subject to it without getting involved in it. Boy, you say, Jim, that's awful plain speech. There's no temptation taking one man, but such as is common to all men. So I know what's in men's hearts. I'm old and I'm willing to say, hey, I've been the worst. I'm not going to live like that anymore by the grace of God. Now, let me get back to some of these other words for these same things. All right. Let's go over here to 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 6. If you read this first chapter of First F second Corinthians, you will say, do I have to go through that? Yeah, you do. Look at verse 3. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He's merciful to us. Eleo. E L E O O E. L E O O That's the word mercy. Mercy is something that you do something about. It's not just having pity on somebody. You get busy and do something. Blessed be the God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Where do we get our comfort? Paralysis. Let me erase some of this. This is the word comfort. And you, as you're learning these words, you're going to see a lot of them are connected to a lot of other words. Paraclysis, comfort. P-A-R-A-K-L-E-S-I-S. That is a combination of para, P A R A, which means near, near, and kaleo, K A L E O. That's part of the word kaleo, ecclesia, which is the word church. Para means near. We get our word parallel from that. That's two lines that are near each other. Parallel. It means near. And kaleo means to call. It means to call near. And the Bible says that the word of God is our consolation. It's a form of paraclysis, consolation. The word of God is our comfort. Read the Word of God. If you read it, not if you read it, when you read it, read it slow so you can tell what it's saying. My wife reads through the Bible. She read through it this year or the end of last year and she's reading. She finished it up and she's reading through it again. She does that constantly and she wants to talk to me about it all the time. It's her comfort. And then he says, "Who comforteth us?" Any time you find comfort, it is a it is a form of paraklesis, or para, p a r a, k a l e o, to call near. That's the word, comfort or consolation. It's all the same. Means to call near and. And God calls us near and hugs us and says, I'm here for you. Then he says, who comfort us in all tribulation. Guess what? That word tribulation is the word thalipsis, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S. And thalipsis comes from the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O, which is the word narrow. When you're in the narrow way, God comforts us when we're in tribulation that we may be able to comfort parakaleo, call others near them which are in trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us it's the narrow way you're going to offend people. They're going to get mad at you. They're supposed to. But God made them that way. Why get angry at them? Get angry at yourself when you're getting out of line. <coughs> so our consolation, paraklesis, also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, that word afflicted is the word philebo. Same word as narrow you're afflicted when you're going through the narrow way whether we be afflicted it is for your paraclysis your consolation paul said i go through affliction so i can comfort the corinthians said the same basic thing when he said over in the fourth chapter of second corinthians look at the fourth chapter He said in the fourth chapter, that's the fifth chapter, that won't get it. That's Romans, I'll never get there from here. Alright. Fourth chapter, second Corinthians. I love this chapter because it's, it just lays down what we have to go through. He said, we are in verse In verse seven, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That's the inner man. This is verse seven, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not in us. For we are troubled. Filibo Same word is narrow. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're distressed. I got to go through that, but not today. It's the word Steno Choreo Steno. I wonder where that comes from. S T E N O C H O R E O. Steno comes from Stenos Steno Choreo. Come from Stenos, and this word Korea K O R E A means land expanse it means the land or the area where you go through the straight and narrow way that, it means the same thing as the land that they were in over here and they were there 40 years in tribulation and trial many of them died god killed a bunch of them for being rebellious and they would get out of water and they'd get out of food and they'd say and they'd start murmuring against moses and aaron said we need to kill them and go back to egypt and that was a lot of trial and some of them really didn't behave themselves aaron didn't behave himself that was moses older brother miriam didn't behave herself and god killed miriam and aaron and they were believers. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're not exapo, my. I could spend a lot of time on that. That means completely without an answer. We're not completely without an answer. Paul said, when I was in Asia and he's writing to other churches he said I was my. he said I was pressed out of measure in verse 8 of this same chapter pressed out of measure I despaired of life my. he said I had no way out only if God brought me out if he went through this do you think you have to go through it to some degree You may not have people chasing you and somebody letting you around down over a wall in a basket. They may not take you at the end of your life and put you in a Roman jail and then behead you like they did Paul. That's what tradition says how he died. Then verse 9, persecuted but not forsaken, cast down but not destroyed. Always, this is us, always bearing about in our bodies the dying of the Lord that's the inner man or that's the outer man being died having to die off Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our physical bodies when we live righteously for we which live are always delivered unto death the outer man has to keep dying I die daily Paul said take your cross and die daily For Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. It's not talking about when we die and go be with the Lord in a new body. It's talking about the dying of the Lord Jesus has to be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then, death works in us so that life can come alive in those elect people that have never come to the light yet that's the whole reason we live right so we can see that people are converted and having the same spirit of faith according as it is written I believed and therefore have I spoken we also believe therefore speak knowing that he which raised up Jesus Christ shall raise up us also by Jesus he's talking about in our physical bodies and shall present us with you For all things are for our sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For we, for which cause we faint not, but through our, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed every day. And our light affliction Theipsis is but for a moment; it works for us for a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. That's <laughs> all. That's what the narrow way's about. It's about what you and I have to go through as believers. And if you don't like it, I'm tough. Because <laughs> you got to go through it. I've had to go through it. And I'm still going through it to some degree. Sometimes I get really depressed because I look at a world that doesn't believe God and I just say, God, help me get through this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for this word you've given us, this narrow way. God, fight our battles. We can't fight no more. I don't even know how to fight the world. I need to fight myself, this outer man. Thank you for being old, Lord. Because I don't know what I'd do if I had to deal with things like I used to deal with. Age keeps us from doing that, Lord. Thank you for everything. We'll praise you in Christ's name. We pray, Amen. amen. I'm going to continue this. We haven't even started to begin to deal with the straight gate the narrow way. We've got so much more to say on it.